Well, if you would, this morning, let's go back to the book of Jude. I was praying about and pondering on if I needed to have like a special text or special message considering that we're really closing out our missions week. And quite honestly, I couldn't have picked a better text than the one we're in. A little hot, son, on the mic there. Cut me down just a little bit, please. But um, actually, we're going to finish the book of Jude today. And Lord willing, we're going to be in the book of Galatians starting next week. We're going to do a study through the book of Galatians, or as Bill Clinton said, Galateans. <laughs> but uh, look forward to that. You know, this text in Jude has is, is always been a challenge to me, but really as I studied it deeper and really tried to prepare for this message and I, I recognized more of the immediate context that Jude was dealing with, it became even more challenging to me. And I'm talking about, uh, of course, the, the verse about making a difference. And I don't know about you, but the greatest desire of my life is that I make a difference in the life and the eternity of others. And if that's not our heart today, we've got some big problems. And uh, we've been looking in the book of Jude that uh, as short as it is, I mean, my goodness, I, I'm getting through it in four sermons. You know it's a short book. But in the short book, it's very, it's very straight and to the point. And uh, Jude is writing to these Christians. We don't know the exact location. We know that they were probably of a, a Jewish background by the things that he says and the examples that he appeals to. Uh, but he's pleading with the believers in this particular church to take a stand and to contend for the faith once delivered to the saints because false teachers have come in unnoticed, unaware, and they're teaching a horrible, damnable heresy. And the specific charge that Jude lays against them is that they have turned the grace of God into lasciviousness, a license to sin. In other words, you know, God is not holy. He's not wrathful. Uh, you can do whatever you want to, and you're going to get away with it. That is turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. We see this everywhere in the church today. And last time, we specifically looked at the wicked character of these false teachers and the methods that they used. They were a slave to their lust. They were... Concerning their teaching, they were clouds without water. They were useless. Uh, they were starving. If there were any true sheep there, and there, there has to be because Jude wrote to them, the sheep are being starved. Uh, these men, they're not using the Word of God as their authority. They're using their own filthy dreams, their false imaginations, their false visions as their standard. We do the same thing today. And I'm going to be honest with you. There's a lot of quote-unquote Baptist churches out there, some of them I know. I know the pastor. I know the people there. I know them personally. They may not ever get up there and say, you know, God gave me a vision and this is where we're coming from today. may not take it that far, but i tell you what they will do. They'll come up with their own thoughts and their own ideas and they will read their ideas into the text of Scripture instead of taking the text of Scripture and getting the message from that. It's called eisegesis, when you read your own thoughts and ideas into the text. They'll, they'll pick a random text that may have a phrase that they want to try to use. It has nothing to do with the context. And in that case, the preacher is not preaching the Word, he's preaching himself. And so we need to be aware of even that today. When you listen to somebody preach, ask yourself the question, is he deriving the message from the text of Scripture? Or is he taking his own thoughts and ideas and reading it into the text? 
that's really a good practice to have when you listen to preaching. And so we need to be aware of this. Uh, I want to make a difference in the lives of others. And, and in the context, um, Jude is encouraging these believers to make a difference by helping those that have been confused by this false teaching. That's the specific context here. And so with that in mind, let's read our text from the Word of God this morning, uh, the book of Jude, beginning in verse 17. But, beloved, he's appealing to these Christians here. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time, who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference. There's our key thought this morning. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior, to be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love You. Thank You for this beautiful day that You've given us to come worship You. Thank You for the health to be here, God. Thank You for providing a means of transportation to get here. And a, God, just such a, a beautiful uh, place to worship, Lord. And God, we thank you for what you did this week. I pray that you would settle in our hearts what you would have us to give individually to missions. And Lord, that we would just be about your business, both here in this valley and abroad. Lord, I pray that you would empty me of sin and self, fill me your Holy Spirit. And I pray that, uh, God, you would give me brokenness and humility to preach your message this morning, God. Change our hearts this morning and make us more like you. It's in Christ's name I pray these things. Amen. So this morning, we're looking at the thought of making a difference. And I would put in parentheses, by contending for the faith once delivered to the saints. And understand that everything that Jude says in his closing statement that we just read is in reference to verses 22 and 23. And so I'm actually going to explain these two verses before we actually walk through verse by verse. But it says in, in verse 22, And some have compassion, making a difference. He's referring to those believers in this church who are, are kind of on the fence. They, they're not sure what to make of this new teaching, this false teaching. They, they haven't really fought against it, but they haven't really bought into it. And in that situation, we ought to show compassion to those. Listen, uh, Jesus always made a distinction between the sinners who were confused by false doctrine and the teachers that enslaved them by that false doctrine. He was always compassionate towards sinners, uh, but he was always confronting the false teachers. You'll never find Jesus uh, being rude to sinners. He's always compassionate. Uh, but you'll never find him tiptoeing around the tulips when it comes to the false teachers. He told them they were full of deadly poison. They shined the outside of the cup, but inside they were full of deadly poison. And as he stood on the, the steps of the Temple Mount, he pointed to all the white-walled tombs on the Mount of Olives, and he said, that's exactly what you are. You're a tomb full of dead men's bones. 
Broods of vipers, he called them. And so we need to kind of keep that mindset. You know, we don't, we preach the same gospel to all, but we may not necessarily uh, handle everybody in the same way. Jesus certainly didn't. Think about the woman at the well versus how he dealt with the Pharisees. Think about how he dealt with Zacchaeus versus the false teachers and the Sadducees. And so we need to keep, there's no cookie cutter way of doing things. I like what Brother Molyneux said talking about his missionary journey. He said, this is not prescriptive for everybody. It's not going to be the same for everybody. It's the same way when we're witnessing to people. Yes, we, we get to the same gospel, but there's sometimes different avenues by which to do that. Um, and so that's what he's talking about. Verse 23, he says, And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now the illustration that Jude is using here, he's talking about those that may have actually bought into the false teaching and they're going to be more difficult to reach and you may have to have a more straightforward approach with them. But the, the garment, pulling them out of the fire, hating the garment spotted by the flesh, what he's talking about is literally their, their undergarment that they would wear under their clothes that was literally next to their skin. And the idea here is, uh, you know, even when maybe a leper... Uh, would wear something. You, I mean, you wouldn't want to. You wouldn't want to handle their clothing. I mean, that's they're defiled. They're and they're contagious because now they're taking this teaching, this false teaching, to others. And in that case, it, it may take a more straightforward approach, pulling them out of the fire. And sometimes, I mean, listen, we always need to be compassionate. But I'm just going to be real. Uh, sometimes you just got to be straight up. And there were some times where the Apostle Paul, the Apostles Jesus, they were just straight up. And sometimes that's what it's going to take. Uh, you, you have to be straight with them. That's what he's saying here. But ultimately the goal is to make a difference and to pull them out of these damnable teachings and to, to stand in the gap for them. And my goodness, what an application we can make to the valley that we're living in. How many people are a slave not only to their sin but their false religion that may either add to their burdens or make them feel like they're okay with God when they're really not. What, what, a, what a calling, what an opportunity that we have. I want to invest in the lives of others, uh, investing in them, loving them, giving the gospel. I want to make a difference. Uh, and, and Jude commands them at the beginning of the book um, to contend for the faith. But at the end of the book where we're at this morning, he tells them how to do that. He doesn't just tell them what to do. He tells them how to do that. So that's the question that I hope to answer this morning. How do we do that? How can we make an eternal difference in the lives of other people? Well, number one, we're going to have to have a reverence for the Word of God. A reverence for the Word of God. If you're going to make a difference in a lost and dying world, you're going to have to be different than a lost and dying world. And the only way to be different from a lost and dying world is to have a different standard than a lost and dying world. And that would be the Word of God that we're preaching this morning. That's, that's the only way. And so we have to have a reverence for the Word of God. Look at what Jude says here. This is very telling. Verse 17, he says, But, beloved, he's, the but here is in contrast to these false teachers that are going based on their own feelings, their own logic, uh, their own opinion about the way things should be. That's the standard they use. But he says, But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ 
how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. And so Jude is appealing to a very specific standard here. He says the word spoken by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Gospels and this is the epistles to the church. In fact, by the time Jude was written, all of the New Testament had been written except for uh, the books at the end that were written by John. Revelation, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Everything else has already been written at this time. And so he's appealing to that standard. Remember the very first introductory message I preached and I told you that the way that the early church uh, combated the Gnostics was to come up with a fourfold system to prove which books were inspired or not. And one of them at the very top was they had to be written by an apostle or close associate. This falls right in line with what verse 17 says because Jude appealed to that standard. So when somebody you know, says we shouldn't appeal to that standard, well, Jude did. Jesus did. The apostles did. Um, and so this is nothing new. And so, you know, if you wanted to invent a cult, you would have to destroy the status quo. You would have to destroy the standard that was already in place. That's exactly what Satan did. The very first time he comes on the scene in Genesis 3, he comes up to Eve and he says, Yea, hath God said. Did God really say that you couldn't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? He was questioning the standard of God's revelation. And so if we're going to make a difference, we have to have a reverence for the Word of God. Um, now, <clears throat> this command to remember the Word challenges us to examine the foundation that we're building our lives upon. And, and you'll see it even in points one, and I would say especially in point two of the sermon. I felt like Derek was walking all over my sermon notes this morning, and I was walking on his or whichever way that worked. Uh, but he asked the question, what do you use to make your decisions? What are, you, what are you using? What is your standard? Why do you make the decisions that you do? Why do you think the way that you do? Is it of your own feelings and opinion? Or are you saying, hey, what does God think about this? That, that ought to be our standard. What does God think about this? And even in your life, one of the greatest ways that you can grow and mature as a Christian is when you're facing decisions, whether big or small, when you're facing decisions and you honestly don't know uh, if that would please God or not. You don't know what God would think about it. Go to the Word of God and find out what He would think about that. That's a great way to grow, and then when you learn it, you know it. Uh, we must build our lives upon the foundation of the Word of God, the canon of Scripture, the 66 books of the Bible, Old and New Testament, Genesis to Revelation. And I find it interesting, we often talk about the canon of Scripture. That word canon... It literally means a standard or a measurement. That's what we ought to measure uh, our lives by is the Word of God. Read it, study it, memorize it, apply it, teach it, and live it. It ought to be a habit. I mean, you, you, have, to have, you have to have a relationship with this book. I mean, if we're talking about in terms of beef here, the most I could ever give you is milk. I, I have to read and study, and, and I can give you milk, but you got to get the steak. I mean, every, everything I'm giving you is secondhand. It's filtered. And, but you have to have a relationship with the book. I mean, read it, yes, study it. If you need it, get commentaries. I mean, listen, I really believe this generation 
is going to answer to God in a way that perhaps past generations did not. We have never had more access to good biblical preaching, study tools, um, Bibles, um, books. I mean, it's amazing. It really is amazing. You can go to Sermon Audio right now, and they've got like 3 million sermons in their database right now. Is everything going to be perfectly right? Probably not. But they're not going to be heretical because they're not going to allow you to use their platform. Um, you know, commentaries. I mean, my goodness, we, we, we have it all at our fingertips if we would just do it, if we would just commit to it. And he tells us to remember the Word, but we can't remember something we never learned. Nothing will ever come to our heart or our minds that we've never learned. And the truth of God's Word is what sets people free from false teaching and the snare of the devil. If we're unskillful in truth, we're not going to be much help to them. Now, I'm really going to try to get this in our hearts and minds today. Y'all forgive me. This is the second week in a row I forgot my water. It reminds me when I'm up there, though. I really want to try to drive this home for us this morning, talking about just how important it is to be skillful with the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. It's called the sword of the Spirit. And if you're handling a sword or a weapon and you're not skillful with it, it can be dangerous to you and the people around you. But if you know how to use it, it can save somebody. Um, just, just a couple examples. I want to ask you, have you ever been in a situation where somebody was in trouble and you couldn't help them? That's a scary place to be. You know, maybe you've been in a restaurant, somebody was choking, or maybe somebody had an accident, or they needed some medical attention, and you didn't really know what to do, and, and you, you can't help them. It's a, it's a humbling, scary thing. And uh, I, I thought about a, a dear preacher friend of mine, Brother Mike Troll, and uh, he, he was telling a story one time when he was preaching, and he was relating it back to his salvation. And I thought it was just such a great illustration even to use this morning, but he said when he was a boy, about seven or eight, his family went down uh, to a creek behind their house. And understand, creeks in Alabama, they're, they're different than creeks here. I mean, they're like, most of them like small rivers. And uh, depending on the flooding and the geography, sometimes they can have a pretty swift current and can be dangerous. And he said his family went to the creek just to, you know, have a swim day and just relax and do some recreation there. And uh, his dad told him, he said, Mike, he said, stay on this side, stay on our side of the creek. He said, if you get on the other side, it gets deep and it gets fast. Don't go over there. Of course, when you tell a kid that, what are they going to do? They're going to have to try it, you know, see how far they can go. And he said he actually looked to make sure his dad wasn't looking because he, he wanted to do what he wasn't supposed to do. And what happened is he realized when he took that first step off where it got deep, it got deep like that. And he slipped off and his foot actually got stuck in a tree root. And that current was strong enough to where it was pushing his body under the water and he, he wasn't strong enough to push against the current and his foot is stuck, he can't get up, he's drowning. And he tried to fight to get breath, he couldn't get up and as he got more tired, he couldn't fight as hard and he could not get his mouth above the surface of the water. And he said right about the time he's fixing to pass out, his air is gone, I mean he is on death's door and a hand reaches through the water and grabs him up. And pulls him up. And he compared that to salvation and how, how God saved him when he couldn't save himself. But I thought to myself, his dad had the strength and the ability to get to where he was and save him. But what if he hadn't? What if he hadn't been physically able to save him? What a horrible situation. 
Listen, there are people that are going to die and go to hell and they need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Could you share your faith with somebody else? Could you share the gospel? Could you present it in a way that would be truthful and understandable? If not, we need to make it a point to get there. You say, well, I don't know how to do that. Listen, every job you ever started, you didn't know how to do anything on day one. But you know what you did? You stuck it out and you learned it. And now you could probably teach it to other people. Do the same thing with the gospel, with the Word of God. Train yourself. Make it a discipline. And you'll become more comfortable with it. Uh, we ought to take this seriously. Uh, I thought about... Um, now, I, I don't know many of y'all have dreams or you talk in your sleep or do weird things. Even this morning I was studying. I heard Wesley shouting in his sleep, Stop it, Allison! <laughs> He does that. He fights with us in his sleep a lot. I'm not a big dreamer. I don't remember hardly any dreams I ever had, but I, there's a dream I had years ago that I, it shook me up so bad I've never forgotten this. And thank God it wasn't real, but I thought, Lord, help us if it was. But I had a dream. Wesley was a baby, and uh, he's 13, so that's been about probably 12 years ago. And I had a dream that we were on a boat, and I was carrying Wesley, and all of a sudden we hit a big wave, and I dropped him in the water. And I dove in to get him, and it's like I couldn't, even though I'm a good swimmer, it's like I couldn't physically get to him. He kept going further and deeper and deeper, and he was dropping faster than I could get to him. And it just terrified me so much that I just woke up, and I'm just thrashing, you know, and I'm in a cold sweat, and I'm crying. And I, I literally got up from my bed and went to his crib, just, and I just watched him breathe for a little bit. And, uh, man, it just shook me up so bad, and I thought, you know, God, help me if I'm ever in a position where I can't help my child. And, but we're talking physical now. But think about, think about the spiritual. What about if I couldn't instruct him in the ways of God or I, I couldn't have shared the gospel with him or I, I couldn't lead him in the right way or God forbid if my example led him to go down the wrong path. This is serious stuff we're talking about. There's nothing more serious than what we're talking about. Because if, if our children and even the people that we may have influence on at the job or some of our loved ones watching us, if they're following in our footsteps, where are they going to go? Where are they going to end up? What do they see in our life? What do they hear coming out of our mouth? Are we telling them the right things? Are we giving them the truth of God's Word? What a serious thing here that Jude is challenging us to do to rescue people from false teaching. To rescue people from being in bondage to their sin, a slave of sin and on their way to hell, someone who is held captive by the devil, the Word of God says. Could you give them the truth that can set them free? Uh, Jude isn't just challenging us to remember the Word of God for ourselves, but for the sake of others. We need to be skilled in the Word of God, not just for ourselves, but for others. And if we're not reverencing and building our lives upon the foundation of the Word of God, then we are living in our flesh and on our feelings. And the, the contrast that Jude gives here, he commands us to remember the Word of God. But he, he says of these false teachers, they are sensual, having not the Spirit. That word sensual speaks of the senses. In other words, they are living in their flesh. They're living by their senses. They're not living by the Word of God. That is not the Christian life. That is not the Christian life. Um, either we're living by the Word of God or we're living by our own feelings. But if we are living on our own feelings, we're no different from them. Think about this. If you're living by your feelings, 
You're no different than a lost and dying world that doesn't even have the Spirit of God, that's blind to the things of God, cannot even understand or comprehend the things of God. If we're living in the flesh and on our feelings, we're no different than a lost and dying world. And that's a scary place to be. I'll, I'll share this somewhat humorous illustration and we'll go on to my next point. And I know this is not going to be good for my uh, Alabama stereotype, but if the shoe fits, I guess. But um, behind my house where I grew up, there was a, a huge tract of land. Uh, we called it Maxwell Swamps. It had uh, the Blackwater River ran through there, a lot of creeks, and it was you know, real muddy, real swampy. And we used to take our big trucks back there and, and mud ride, you know, and and I had a big, like, 89 Bronco, and uh, I had put duels on it. I'd cut the converters and the muffler off. It sounded like a NASCAR going down the road, you know. Had it had a lift on it and everything. And, and uh, I, we got down there, and there were some people that was already there, and they had gotten a, it was like a brand, I'm talking about a brand new Toyota Tundra. It was stuck. And not only did he get it stuck, he buried it. And not only did he bury it, he slung a rod trying to get out so the engines broke. It won't even crank up. And so he asked me, he said, can you pull me out? I said, sure. So we didn't have the, I didn't have the longest toe strap in the world. And so I'm backing up to his bumper, getting closer and closer. <laughs> and I'm getting deeper and deeper. And I'm talking about water so deep that my, uh, my exhaust pipes are now under the water and they're blurbling, you know, bubbles are coming up. And I go even deeper and there's water coming in my doors into, you know, where I'm at. And they kept saying, are you sure you can get him out? Oh, yeah, we'll get him out, you know. Oh, we'll get him out, you know. Y'all just don't know anything about this Bronco here. So the guy goes to hook up the toe strap, and we're so far in the mud and water, he's having to reach for everything. He can't see anything, you know. Oh, yeah, Brandon, you're going to pull all this dead weight out of here, you know. So I put it in four low and stomp, you know, and instead of pulling him out, you know what I did? I pulled myself in. And then I had to call somebody to come get me out. And the moral to that story is, you can't pull somebody out of the mud if you're in the mud with them. The only way to be different than the world is by making this the standard of our life. We have to have a reverence for the Word of God. But then secondly, this morning, if, if we're going to make a difference in a lost and dying world, we're going to have to rely on the Spirit of God. Look at verse 20. But be, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Very quickly, if you notice, there's no period between verse 20 and 21. There's only a comma, so there's a continued thought. He's telling us to pray and live in the Holy Ghost, and in doing so, we will keep ourselves in the love of God. This does not mean that you can lose your salvation. It's talking about fellowship with God. And a, a good illustration about this is, you know, if you and your wife um, ever have an argument, I know that never happens, but if you ever have an argument with your wife and things maybe get a little heated, a little spat, you know, uh, that doesn't make you unmarried. You're still married, but now there's, there's some tension in the relationship. That's the difference between salvation and fellowship. You can be saved and yet your fellowship with God not be what it should be and you need to make things right. You need to, just like you need to keep yourselves uh, in good standing with your spouse, 
You need to keep yourself with God in the same way. And so that's the illustration there. He's not talking about salvation. Um, But when he talks about praying and building yourself up in the Holy Ghost, that's not talking about speaking in tongues or some unknown heavenly angelic gibberish. You don't find that anywhere in the Word of God. You don't find that anywhere in church history until about 1900. So it's just it's a bunch of made-up stuff. That's not even, it's not even real. Uh, but what he is talking about is being filled, living a spirit-filled life, which, by the way, again, is the opposite of these teachers who have not the Spirit of God, Jude says. Uh, now, praying in the Holy Ghost, I want to give you three quick sub-points on this thought. Praying in the Holy Ghost uh, really carries with it three main ideas. Uh, the first one that if we are praying in the Spirit of God, we are also praying in the will of God. Uh, I thought about um, 1 John chapter 5, uh, verses 14 and 15. It says, And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. In other words, prayer isn't about accomplishing our will in heaven, but rather accomplishing God's will on the earth in and through our lives. In other words, you know, pray for whatever you want, but you better pray according to the will and the Word of God. If it goes against the Word of God, we know it's not the will of God. In other words, there's just some things that you don't have to pray about. You don't have to pray about whether or not God wants you to leave your wife or another woman. You don't have to pray pray about that because God has already spoken on the matter. You You don't have to pray about that. And so uh, praying in the Spirit kind of goes along with the idea of praying in the will of God. And even if there's some things that you say, well, I'm not sure this is the will of God. Well, pray for your heart's desire. And just like Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. The second thing that praying in the Spirit speaks to is that the Holy Spirit will make up for our lack of good praying. Sometimes I'm not the best at praying. Sometimes I feel like I don't even know what to ask for. But Romans 8, 26 and 27, it says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, or our weakness is what that means. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought to. I can say amen right there. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. We know that's why speaking in tongues is not even a thing, because it comes in ways that cannot be uttered. Um, It says, And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. You just saw that a minute ago. Sometimes we pray bad prayers with good intentions. And when it comes to this whole thing about the Spirit of God interceding for us, I know this is not an exact example, but I think it gives us a good illustration of what this is talking about. I think about Abraham and Lot. You remember um, Lot had gone to Sodom and Gomorrah? God told him he was going to destroy the city with fire and brimstone. And Abram prayed to God. He said, Lord, he said, he said, peradventure, if there's 50 righteous people in the city, would you spare the city? God said, I would spare it for 50. And he says, what about 40? Would you spare it for 40? He said, I would spare it for 40. He, got, he gets all the way down to 10. He said, Lord, don't, don't be angry with me. Just this one last request. For 10 righteous people, would you spare the city? God says, I would spare the city. Well, of course... There weren't ten righteous people in the city, were there? Now, Abraham was, you know, he thought he was praying a good prayer. He thought he was praying, really, I think he was praying for his nephew Lot. Lord, spare, my, spare Lot. 
that idiot. Have mercy on him, please, Lord. And so he thought he was praying a good prayer. You know, surely there's ten righteous. They'll, they'll make it out all right. What he should have said is, Lord, whatever you do, would you please spare Lot? What did God do? He destroyed the city and he spared Lot even though Abraham didn't pray for it. I believe, that, I believe that's what the Spirit of God does. I believe He adds clarity to our prayers. Sometimes we may pray for wrong things or bad things. The Holy Spirit says, no, just let's do it this way. You know, I, I really believe that's what it is. Thank God we've got a filter on our prayers. But thirdly, I, I think that praying the Spirit, uh, it really speaks to a dependence upon the Spirit of God to accomplish His will. Uh, listen, if, if you don't get anything else about this, listen to this. A life of prayer is a life of dependence upon God. The more we pray, the more we are acknowledging that we need Him. And if we're not actively praying for and witnessing to the lost, it's really a faith issue. We're not trusting God to do the work of salvation. It's not about our good looks. It's not about our abilities of persuasion or our gift of gab. It's, not about, it's just about our availability. It's not about your ability. It's about your availability. Trusting God to save the lost. And thank the Lord it's not up to us. We, we couldn't handle that kind of pressure. And if we're going to make a difference in the lives of those that are held captive by sin and Satan, we must be a praying people, relying upon the Holy Spirit of God and reverencing the Word of God. But then thirdly and lastly as we begin to come in for a landing here, if we're going to make a difference, we're going to have to remember the cause. Remember the cause. Look at verse 24. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, isn't that a good truth? And to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior, to be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Now, understand this. We need to be concerned about sinners. We need to love sinners. We need to be brokenhearted for sinners. But they are not the number one reason for the Great Commission. They are not the number one reason that we should be handing out tracts and sharing the gospel or sending missions, missionaries to a foreign field. The number one reason is because the King of kings and Lord of lords is reigning and He's told us to tell a lost and dying world about Him. It's about Him. If, it ever, if we ever get the cart before the horse and people come before God, then we're going to be seeker-sensitive. We're going to lick our finger to the winds of culture and see which way we need to go. That's not leadership, by the way. That's not leadership. And Jude closes his letter by reminding these Christians of the real reason for wanting to make a difference, and that's because the Lord has made a difference in our life. Not only does the Lord save us, but He keeps us saved. And when we witness to other people, we can have complete confidence in the gospel of Christ when we share it with others. And by the way, I would say when we witness to Mormons, this is one of the greatest points of contrast that I use when it comes to their gospel and our gospel. I like to hear them talk about it. They'll tell me about this great gospel and Joseph Smith and the restoration and all these things and I listen intently and I smile and nod and when they're done, I just say, well, so is, is that your gospel? Is that the good news? And I usually say, well, let me ask you a question. Are you a good person? Well, I, I think so. I said, well, are you good enough to make it to the third heaven to be with God? And most of the time they say, well, I hope so. And I said, well, let me ask you this. How could you know for sure? 
How many works is enough works? How good is good enough? How could you ever know that you were good enough to make it to where God is? And they always say, I don't know. And I say, well, that's not good news. But I do have good news that not only can He save us to the othermost, He can keep us too. And by this can we know, not by what we do, but what He's already done. It's not about do, it's about done. It's about it is finished. (laughs) That's it. That's the good news. That Jesus Christ has accomplished salvation. And so, Judah's reminding us to preach the gospel because Christ has commanded us to. We should want to reach sinners because Christ came to save sinners. We should want to live holy because He is holy. We should love others because God is a loving God and He first loved us. We should warn others because God is a God of justice and wrath. And ultimately, everything that we do should be done in light of the fact that we will stand before His holy throne one day. We just read that. We're going to stand before Him one day and give an account. And between now and then, I want to make a difference in the lives of others, an eternal difference. And, and I'll, I'll close with this illustration, talking about making a difference. If I, make, if I make it through this without crying, it'll be amazing. But, you know, television, for all the trash that's on it, there are a few moments in television history where I can look at that and say, you know, that's one of the greatest moments in the history of television right there. Without a doubt, one of the greatest moments in the history of television was in 1988. Uh, there's a man by the name of Nicholas Winton. And uh, Nicholas Winton,